next Bible reading is Song of Songs 3, 1 to 5, and then 5, 2 to 8. Page 513. Here we go. Young woman. One night as I lay in bed, I yearned for my lover. I yearned for him, but he did not come. So I said to myself, I will get up and roam the city, searching in all its streets and squares. I will search for the one I love. So I searched everywhere, but did not find him. The watchmen stopped me as they made their rounds, and I asked, have you seen the one I love? Then scarcely had I left them when I found my love. I caught him and held him tightly. Then I brought him to my mother's house, into my mother's bed, where I had been conceived. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. I'll say it again. Promise me, my beautiful daughters, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. And then from five, two to eight. Young woman, I slept, but my heart was awake. When I heard my lover knocking and calling, open to me my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. But I responded, I've taken off my robe, should I get dressed again? I've washed my feet, should I get them soiled? My lover tried to unlatch the door and my heart thrilled within me. I jumped up to open the door for my love and my hands dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my lover but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him but could not find him anywhere. I called to him but there was no reply. The night watchmen found me as they made their rounds. They beat and bruised me and stripped off my veil, those watchmen on the walls. Make this promise, O women of Jerusalem. If you find my lover, tell him I am weak with love. Thanks so much, Shani. Let's pray. Gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word and we pray that as we read it, that your Holy Spirit will lead us to know more about you and about ourselves. And we particularly pray as we explore some of the sad parts relating to sex and love that you would comfort us that you would help us to know how to love and serve each other and that in this you would be glorified we ask it in jesus name amen there's an outline there for you that you can uh, fill in as uh, the sermon goes through it's also available on the website and uh, you can also if you check your emails you'll see that the Jamboree Anglican email has got the blanks in it that you could fill in as well. Adam, do you reckon you could click that over to the sermon outline one, please, for me? Excellent. That's the one. Well, Shakespeare was right when he wrote that the course of true love never did run smooth. Uh, if love can raise you to the highest peak... It can also lower you to the deepest trough. Love can bring happiness, but it also can bring sadness. And as we look at the Song of Songs, we see a couple that's in love. It's, and we are sort of like a kind of a, a poetic big brother episode. We are, we are, we've given permission to view their intimacy. It's intimacy of a blossoming relationship. We hear the words that are reserved for the other person. And we experience something of their hidden emotions. And so it should come as no surprise that the love we see in the Song of Songs has got happiness, but also some sadness as well. 
The Song of Songs has happiness and sadness. Since the song shows genuine love, we also see the highs and the lows of love. Today we're going to look at two excerpts from this love poem. They show the painful side of love. They show separation and rejection and abuse. And as we read these words, we're supposed to feel the emotions that are expressed in this poetry. As the woman speaks of her separation, of her vulnerability, of her fear, we, the reader, should expect to feel all these emotions as well. These feelings may remind you of past hurts, times when you felt vulnerable or separated or lonely or upset. Uh, you may feel the pain of past hurts that you maybe wish to forget, but maybe you've never truly forgotten them. You might ask why we should stir up these emotions. Why should we read such depressing poetry? Well, the answer is that these are the words of the Word of God. They're graciously provided to us by the Holy Spirit who wrote them for us just as he wrote Genesis and Psalms and Matthew and Romans. They're all part of God's word. They're part of Christian scripture. And yet even though they are divine words, they're also, they speak authentically of, Christ, of human love. That They resonate with our own experiences, I think. And they show us that God didn't just create our bodies and minds, but he also created our emotions as well. God knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be human because God, in fact, is human. Jesus rules in heaven in human form. He knows love. He knows the pain of separation and loneliness better than any of us. And so we learn that we can confidently speak to him as someone who understands just what it is that we're going through. In a in addition to looking at the pain of separation and rejection and abuse, we're also going to witness the pleasure of security as the separated couple unite again in a warm embrace. Both of these passages come out of the woman's extended dream in chapters 3 through to 6 that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. In the dream, she reveals her feelings about her future marriage, feelings of optimism and also feelings of fear. You know what it's like when you might be having a big event coming up the next day or week and you're dreaming about it and everything that might go wrong does. You know, you turn up and you've wrong day for the exam or something like that or you're not wearing your trousers or whatever it is. You know, you have those sorts of dreams. This is kind of a bit like these bits out of the Song of Songs. And the first part of this, the first bit we're going to look at is at the start of chapter 3 and it shows the pain of separation. You see, in these verses, the man is missing from the woman's bed. And so she runs around the city, madly trying to find her. Have a look from chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, that Shani read before. We read, she says, One night as I lay in bed, I yearned for my lover. I yearned for him, but he did not come. So I said to myself, I'll get up and roam the city, searching in all its streets and squares. I will search for the one I love. So I searched everywhere, but did not find him. The watchmen stopped me as they made their rounds, and I asked, Have you seen the one I love? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? 
The woman's dreaming about her future marriage and here she sees that her fears have come to life. This is what happens to us just before an important event when we, everything that could go wrong in our dreams do. This dream shows that the woman has a deep fear of separation. Separation is what this woman fears. The man she loves is missing. She combs the streets looking for him. She anxiously asks the city guards if they know where he is. And she shows in this dream that she fears being separated from the one she loves. She fears losing her husband. Or maybe she's scared that he won't even turn up to the wedding. We've heard about stories like that, haven't we? And so as she gets closer to marriage, she becomes more and more dependent upon her future husband. She's surrendering more and more of herself and she becomes increasingly vulnerable. And as she gives more, she realises that she has more and more to lose if they get separated. The stakes are high. What could lead to this separation? Maybe he might die before they get married. Maybe he might leave her, break off the engagement, never go through with it. See, separation comes in many forms, doesn't it? Separation comes in many forms, but no matter how it comes, it still hurts. Maybe you've felt this at some stage. Maybe you've felt the pain of separation. Maybe you've experienced the death of a friend or a parent or your spouse. Maybe you've broken up with your former boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse and you know the pain of losing love. You know the pain of separation. Song of Songs is very real. And it shows us that God knows that love can cause pain. Love in this fallen world can easily lead to sadness and rejection. And God knows this not only because he created love, but because he too has felt the pain of separation. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know that at that point, for the first time ever in, in history, the love between the Father and the Son was broken in some way for the first time. Jesus knows what a separation feels like. He understands this. He knows what it's like to have a broken heart. And so he can empathise with our suffering. He is the best shoulder to cry on. I don't know if you thought about it that way. Maybe you find it hard to come and talk to him about your real feelings. But he hears us. And what's more, his spirit also comforts us. Well, this passage shows us that there is sometimes a happy ending. And so following this pain of separation, we see the pleasure of security. The woman's frantic search ends with a long embrace. Verse 4 says, Then scarcely had I left those watchmen when I found my love. <sighs> I caught and held him tightly. And then I brought him to my mother's house, into my mother's bed, where I had been conceived. See, the fear and pain of separation is healed with a hug. She holds her man and doesn't let him go until they return home to the family house. This is another side of love in the Song of Songs. It's the part of love that's more about security than sensuality. It's the embrace of mutual dependence. 
It's the affection that accompanies those comforting words. It's all going to be okay. This is an important part of love as God has created it. And with vulnerability comes that need for security. With vulnerability comes the need for security. Husbands and wives, do you show this kind of love to your spouse? Do your embraces show sensuality and security? Do your words and actions say, I love you forever, till death us do part? In your friendships, are you prepared to offer security? Do you have long-standing friends that you know will remain loyal through thick or thin? Do you offer that commitment to others? Do you create friendships like that? Or maybe do you churn through friends as you travel through life? What about in your dating if you're not yet married? Do you only in your dating seek the sensuality that you know is reserved for marriage? Or do you work on establishing a foundation for the security of a lifelong friendship? Do you long for security in your relationship with God? Do you have a deep need of assurance? Do you long to know that God will never ever stop loving you no matter what you do or have done? Do you long for him to say something back to you that says you are secure? Well, he has. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, even if your story doesn't have a happy ending, even if your story doesn't have a, a secure embrace, you can know that God's love is sufficient to soothe your broken heart or to comfort your searing loss. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. And so tonight, friends, accept the warm embrace of your Father in heaven who endured separation so that you could feel his love. Because nothing will separate us from God's love. Well, the second passage tonight is found in chapter 5 from verses 2 to 8. So we kind of skipped over the bit that we looked at last week. And we've got to chapter 5, verses 2 to 8. And the first half of these verses show us the pain of rejection. Like our first passage tonight, this passage forms part of this woman's dream. She's lying in bed, awoken by the man who shouts from outside her room. And she hesitates to open the door until he aggressively tries to enter. And then when she gets up to let him in, he's gone which leaves her disappointed. Read with me from chapter 5, verses 2 to 6. It's on the screen. I slept, she says, but my heart was awake when I heard my lover knocking and calling, Open to me, my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. 
But I've responded. I've taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I've washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? My lover tried to unlatch the door. My heart thrilled within me. I jumped up to open the door for my love and put my hands dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with lovely myrrh and I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him, couldn't find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. This is this dream. Can you sort of see her experiences? And the experiences are rejection. Both the woman and the man experience rejection. She first rejects him and says, Now go away, I've, I've got my jammies. And he finally, she finally comes to the door and, she's, and he's not there. And he's like, well, forget that then. This is off. Can you see that there's this rejection both ways? And it's painful. Now, as to the meaning of these verses, we can't be completely certain, but it seems most likely to describe sexual activity, if you look closely. In verse 2, the man knocks at her door and asks her to invite him inside. He speaks gently and kindly in familiar words. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my love, my flawless one. The wet hair suggests he's been out at night. He seeks refuge and comfort. And her response is unenthusiastic. Basically, I'm still in my jammies, go away. I've responded, I've taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I've washed my feet. Should I get them more soiled? She doesn't want to get out of bed to see him. She rejects his advances. And so the man tries aggressively to get in the door. And she changes her mind. And now she feels like desiring him. And verse 6, she says, I opened to my lover, but he was gone. He rejects her. Her heart sinks. It's all a dream. We know that, don't we? It's kind of like that dream where everything could go badly, does, and that's what we see here. But it highlights a fear she has, a fear of rejection. Maybe even her fear of somehow forcing her husband away when she may not intend to do so. And, and you know, we sort of see here a reminder that when we have something that somebody else wants, that when we hold back that, we become powerful. We can control them by holding back. You know, in the world of commerce, you can drive prices up by restricting supply. In the world of marriage, you can drive up the price of affection by restricting supply as well. Rejection can be a tool of manipulation. And here in the Song of Songs, we see the devastating effects of rejection. Because the woman's words reveal the pain that comes from rejection. The man's anger and withdrawal show his pain of rejection. And it reminds us of the vulnerability of marriage. See, when a man and woman are married, they give their life to their spouse. They become one flesh. And so the woman's body belongs to her husband. And the husband's body belongs to his wife. And this is why it hurts so much when one spouse rejects the other. He or she is holding back what the other person owns. And that hurts. Most of us have felt rejection in some sort in our life. It might be that you missed out on a place in a sporting team or a dance squad. Or maybe your boy or girlfriend's rejected your love and broken off the relationship. Maybe your spouse has held back their rejection or re held back their affection. Or maybe they've rejected you for an adulterous relationship. Maybe it's ended in divorce. Rejection is very painful. It's a painful part of love. And ultimately, it's the cost of vulnerability. 
Rejection's the cost of vulnerability. It was a real fear for the woman in this poem. You can feel it in, in the way that she speaks in her dream. And I think it's a real fear for all of us as well. Is there anyone that you are wrongfully rejecting at the moment? Are you holding back affection when you should be providing it liberally? Jesus knows what rejection is like. In Isaiah 53, 3, we read the prophecy that his life fulfilled. He said that these, these words were said of him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Jesus suffered that rejection. He was familiar with suffering and yet his suffering brought us back to life. We serve a Lord who knows us and who knows our suffering. And so cling to his love and know his love that never rejects those who cling to him in faith. Well, unlike the first passage today, this second passage doesn't end on a happy note. In verse 7, I think we witness here the pain of abuse. Like the first passage, the woman again meets these watchmen, the, the city guards. And this time they don't offer her any assistance, but instead they appear to sexually and physically assault her. Chapter 5 of Song of Songs, verse 7. The night watchmen found me as they made their rounds. They beat me and bruised me and stripped off my veil, those watchmen on the walls. In the depths of her vulnerability, as she feels the pain of rejection, she's attacked by these men, these men who sexually assault her. In her vulnerability, she is sexually assaulted. And we read here how she's suffered cruelly at the hands of men. Her body is beaten to the point of bruising. They've stripped her. They have caused her physical and sexual harm. She's suffered physical and sexual abuse. Seems a bit odd that we would read these sorts of things in a poem about love. You know, you don't talk about these sorts of things on Valentine's Day. But the Song of Songs paints an authentic picture of love in this fallen world. We see that love's been stained by sin. We see love that eagerly awaits the renewal of heaven. It's within the context of the beauty of true sexual love that this mention of rape stands out so starkly. The Song of Songs talks of the beauty of self-giving love, but rape is all about someone taking that love without permission. The Song of Songs shows us the beauty of moral purity, and yet rape is all about someone stealing that purity and taking away something precious. Because rape steals moral purity. The Song of Songs talks about the beauty of words and praise, but, but, physical, but rape is all about physical gratification and has no place for gentle words. It's, it's against the breathtaking picture of love that we've looked at in Song of Songs that sexual abuse just stands so starkly as so evil and so abhorrent. Song of Songs isn't the only bit that the Bible talks about 
about, about um, abuse, sexual abuse. A couple of years ago, at the end of 2017, we were looking at 2 Samuel. And in chapter 13, there's a story all about rape. It's the rape of the girl called Tamar. And as we reflect upon sexual abuse more widely, we, we can understand the impact it can have on so many people. An Anglicare document said that one in four girls is sexually abused before she reaches the age of 18. They are high numbers, aren't they? It's widespread. Within these walls, even tonight, there's a reasonable chance that at least one of us have suffered a form of this cruel abuse at some time. Many victims of sexual abuse feel so ashamed by what's happened to them they can't tell anyone about it. Sometimes they feel they're somehow responsible for what's happened to them. Well, this feeling of guilt and shame can carry on for a long time after the event. Victims of sexual abuse will often find themselves unable to trust anyone, particularly if their abuser was someone that they originally did trust. And survivors of sexual abuse will often need time to heal before they can start to trust others. And as they seek to rebuild their trust, they may even feel abandoned by God. If you have suffered sexual abuse, then you can know that you can trust God. You can always trust God, no matter what. Even if you feel you can't trust anyone else, you need to know that he is trustworthy. And he wants to hear your pain. He wants to comfort you and fill you with his love. And if you've never told anyone about your abuse before, then maybe this is an important part of your recovery. If you need to speak to someone, then find a mature Christian who you trust and tell them of your pain. Maybe one of the ministers here, Graham or Rain or myself or other mature Christians here in our church. But in particular, it... It's often important for you to speak to a trained counsellor, someone who can help you deal with your trauma and help you rebuild your life. So if you are a survivor, I think you should seek counselling. If you're trying to push through this pain on your, on your own, don't do that. Seek a counsellor. Get referral to a trained trauma counsellor and seek their help. But as you do it... Uh, Reach out also to someone in our church, anyone in our church, and ask them simply to be with you and to be your friend. There are people here who will sit and listen and be with you and validate you in your grief and your suffering. They won't have answers or simple solutions, but that's not what you need. You just need someone to sit with you and hear your story and share your pain. And sometimes you just need someone to laugh with you about things that will distract you from your pain, and that's good too. And other times you need someone to remind you afresh of the deep love of our Father. A love that is vast beyond all measure. And so in this, find a friend to be with you if, the, if you have suffered in this way. Find a friend to be with you. Look, there's a lot more that can be said about this topic than tonight. But if you are a victim of sexual abuse, don't hide your pain and hope that it will go away. Speak to God. Speak to a trusted Christian. Ask God to heal your pain and comfort your sorrows. You know, there's a, a famous quote from Augustine that says, It's better to have loved and have lost than never to have loved at all. <laughs> We've heard that before, haven't we? 
in a sense, he knew that with love there is a cost. As we love another person, we give them something of ourselves. And when they reject us or hurt us, we feel the pain deeply. And yet love is wonderful. That's the message of Song of Songs. And it's only as we make ourselves vulnerable that we can experience the wonder of love. That vulnerability can cause pain. But without that vulnerability, we can never truly experience the feeling of loving and being loved. In a sense, we need vulnerability to experience true love. God's created us and he created love. And he knows that love is good. And he also knows that since the Garden of Eden, love has turned sour. And so we eagerly await heaven when the pain of love will disappear. But until then we cry, come Lord Jesus. And we hold fast to the hope we have in the one who took our pain upon his shoulders and who comforts us by his spirit. I wish that I could tell you that I could just fix the problem of abuse. It would be nice if we could do that. I wish it was possible for us to fix humanity so that love could be experienced without pain. But but this will not happen until the return of Jesus and our experience of the new heaven and the new earth. 